Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here, um, looking at my uh, medal from the Spartan race. It is a participation trophy for adults. <laughs> it's, it simply says Spartan race finisher. Um, but you know what? It means something. And it means that I um, I survived. Yeah. Um, and a huge shout out go goes to the rest of the team that drug my drug pushed pulled shoved my uh, fat butt up an eleven foot wall, and then there was uh, the the muddy rope wall that right. uh, was probably the most colossal for the rest of us. While while you had twenty. Four obstacles. We had twenty five. Yes, which was, I was the I was twenty fifth obstacle. <laughs> oh my goodness! So anyway, thank you for that, Andy. You're fired. Um. So so hello everybody. It's January 2017, and uh, we are so grateful for you. So grateful to be a part of your life. So grateful that seventy three of you are supporting us. I'm so grateful of you that many of you listen to actually both podcasts, the podcast at uh, the community, Vox Community Podcast, and then this one. And so, uh, as always, we are very privileged to do this today. I want to take a question. Um, so, so when we gather together on Sundays, one of the things we do is um, we try to answer questions from the previous week. So people text in their questions. Um, about what they're hearing, about what they're singing, about what they're, you know, what they're thinking. And then the, the next week we answer them. And I don't spend a lot of time at these. I just, I, I glance over them to, uh, to just say, okay, well, let's do this one. Let's do this one. That's too long. This one, you know, this, this one is not relevant to the whole rest of the community, whatever. So, um, but, but there've been a few that we've said, oh, that needs to be a podcast. Yeah. So this is, this is the first one of those where a question asked by someone in our community, um, gets blown into a podcast because it you, there's just no way to, to do it justice in, you know, 30 seconds on a Sunday morning. So, uh, this is our friend's question. She says, I'm having a problem praying. Since the election, I've been very frightened about the sort of country my child will grow up in during the next four years. And I think I, I think we should agree that the last week and a half has done totally everything to alleviate those concerns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to pray. I've wanted to pray for his safety, but then I think of all the children and families in Aleppo. So, so she wrote this mm -hmm. in while all of that was all over the news. I'm sure mothers there prayed for mercy and safety for their children. It makes praying for my son's safety here feel futile. If the mother's prayers in Aleppo went unanswered, what makes me think my prayers for my son will be heard? If my prayers do get answered and the worst case scenarios don't come true here in the U.S., I'm still upset. I want to know why children here were spared from violence when children in other countries aren't. Mm. Does it really just boil down to winning the birth lottery? Some children are lucky enough to be born in other countries and some aren't. I can accept evil... Uh, it, it, I can accept that evil is a parasite that only exists because there is good, but not when it comes to children's lives. I have a real hard time accepting that. So what and how should I pray? P.S. Obviously, I pray for safety and mercy for all children, but that's starting to feel hollow. Mm. So phenomenal. Easy question. Phenomenal question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so, and, and it raises, I mean, I mean the intersection of, of huge topics, God's sovereignty, um, how prayer works, why God allows evil. I mean, oh my word, huge. So uh, I want to, what I want to do is I want to make a point uh, and then I want to look at two bad answers to that question and one good answer hmm. to that question. So, um, so the point I want to make is, is something that I think she assumes in the question, but I think needs to be just made explicit for a second, namely that um, the assumption is that prayer actually works and prayer matters and prayer is answered or not answered. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to bring that out because I think there are, you know, if you, if you buy certain reformed theologies that say everything that happens um, is God's will and it's going to happen regardless um, the very natural question is, well, why should we pray? Right. Right. Well, and, and then, and then the answer that's given sometimes as well, that got your, your prayer was already taken to a, in, into account and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I used to, um, I used to find that view relatively attractive, but now I find it a bit incongruent hmm. with how I see prayer playing out in the scriptures. If you just had the Bible and you didn't have uh, church history or a bunch of theology sitting around you, you would come to the vast conclusion quickly, the quick conclusion that God, God has 
d- d- wanted to have a relationship with human beings that um, is marked by participation and cooperation. And that one of the ways that happens is by the practice of prayer. That it's actually, in Dallas Willard's beautiful phrase, training for reigning. And he doesn't mean like, let it rain, like w- with $1 bills. He means reigning like R-E-I-G-H or R-E-I-G-N. That's the word, reigning. Okay. And the idea is that God always, he's never wanted puppets. Um, God has always wanted partners. And that that God has structured the universe and the covenant he has with his people so that that he responds to prayer. And you start very early with Abraham negotiating with God. Well, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 righteous people? Sure. Mm-hmm. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? Right? I mean, yeah. it's like it's like a Middle Eastern marketplace haggling situation, right? I mean, it's <laughs> absolutely crazy. Or you have Moses, God saying, God saying to Moses, I'm sick of Israel. I'm going to blast them out of existence. And I am going to, you're going to be my guy. And, and Moses going, no, 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 no. First of all, what about your promise to Abraham? Second of all, what will the Egyptians think? And then it says God relents. Yeah. Um, you, you have so many examples, and we explain those mm-hmm. away uh, by saying, well, those that's just attributing you know, human characteristics to God or whatever. Uh, but then you have you know, Jesus teaching us how to pray and, and seeming to model that prayer matters. You have James saying something like, you, know, you do not have because you do not ask. Yeah. So, so I, I think there is a, a massive uh, amount of evidence from the text that says that prayer actually does stuff in the world, that God responds to it, that prayer has influence. Um, and uh, and so so it's it's assumed in the question, but I wanted to pull it out just to say, you know, if what what good father makes his children ask for something when he's already decided what he's gonna do? You know, yeah. this just is not this is not the way love works. Right. Um, the way that love works is that there is a genuine agency and relationship and intimacy. And, and so we can get into why God doesn't answer all prayers or does he answer all prayers. That's separate the, from this particular instance or the scenario. But I just wanted to start by saying, I think biblically, the idea of praying is the idea of actually accomplishing something. It's work, it's labor, it's partnership, and it's intimacy with God. All right. So that's, that's the point number one. Mm-hmm. Now to her question, let, let's um, let's not use Aleppo. Um, let's just use two two kids, Jack and Jill. They they have the same disease in the same stage. They're both under ten. Uh, they both have leukemia, um, and uh, they they they're a part of. You know, they're in the same hospital, receiving the same treatment from the same doctor. Um, both of their parents, Jack's parents and Jill's parents are Christians, both pray fervently, both have their churches praying fervently and, um, and Jack dies and Jill is miraculously healed. Okay. Okay. So I think that scenario pinches, like creates a a little more tension in some ways, um, that I think we can Mm -hmm. then apply to the Aleppo scenario. Okay. So, so, so you're sitting with Jack's parents who are lamenting that their child has died from this disease. And they're hearing in the room next door, Jill's parents celebrating her miraculous healing. Clearly God answered prayer. It wasn't the doctors. It wasn't the medicine. It was God has answered prayer. They look at you and they say, well, what happened? Why was our child uh, not healed and their child healed? Why, Why are our children protected in the United States when... If children in Aleppo were not protected. Right. Right? Same same scenarios. Mm-hmm. There are two very bad answers to that to those questions um, that we have to beat up on before we get to the good answer. The first bad answer is is and, and this one's given so nonchalantly, uh, but it, but something along the lines of, well, it must be God's will. So God's will was that one child was healed and God's will was that one child was not, that one child died. And, um, and certainly there's some attractiveness to this, right? That, that God could have healed both and chose only to heal one. So doesn't it logically follow that the other one, um, it must have been his will not to heal the other one, right? right? Sure. The problem, of course, with that is in the Bible, um, there are other wills that are done on the earth besides God's. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So you have you have um, fallen human wills, which we're all imminently familiar with, right? We hurt ourselves, we hurt each other. You also have fallen angelic wills. Now this is where this is where our non-Jesus followers, you know, if you haven't already jumped like off the boat, this is where you will jump off the boat. But the, but there's an interesting there, there's an interesting backdrop to so much of the scripture that has to do with with uh, a, a, a heavenly war that kind of enshrouds the earth that spilled over and fallen to the earth between um, a character um, at the head of this anti kingdom called the Satan, um, which is the accuser or the adversary, and um, and God. And this Satan was a created being, um, there, high up in the angelic hierarchy. This uh, angel succumbed to pride and uh, not content with his place. God, there was a war in the heavens. God cast this Satan down to earth, where he has been tempting, provoking, you know, you know, devouring and attacking, you know, people ever since, and opposing God's work on earth. So, a bunch of fascinating questions about that. <laughs> But we get this we get this weird, weird, weird picture in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is notoriously difficult to interpret because it's an apocalyptic book. Mm-hmm. And when we get to our Revelation, you know, podcast for our Patreon folks, we're gonna talk a lot about the 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 genre of apocalypse. And so not all the imagery is immediately translatable. But there's this weird scenario in the book of Daniel where Daniel begins to receive visions about what's going to happen in the future that involve the kingdoms of the world. And, um, and, and one of those visions is very specific to a man named Nebuchadnezzar, um, who was the ruler of Babylon. And Babylon is, man, is so, um, so important in the biblical story. It's kind of the anti-Eden. And, uh, and so Daniel gets this vision, he doesn't understand it, and he begins to pray for the interpretation of this vision. Three weeks later, an angel shows up and says, oh, hey, Daniel, by the the day you set your mind to gain understanding, I was sent with an answer. However, I was detained by someone called the Prince of Persia, not the video game or the movie. <laughs> the Prince of Persia uh, is in, in, uh, in this context, it, it is a, uh, a regional official in the demonic realm who holds authority and territory and who was opposing the entrance of this angel into that region to provide Daniel with um, the interpretation of his vision. So for three weeks, the angel says, we've been at war. I finally had to call Michael, the archangel, for backup. And uh, just as a side note, anyone named Michael, you can always call for backup. And <laughs> um, and and then we won. And, 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 th- and now I'm here three weeks later. So, so Daniel, for three weeks, was tempted to think, um, well, God isn't answering. God mm-hmm. must not like me. God must, uh, maybe I've lost his favor. Maybe it's God's will that I don't hear this, you know, blah, 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 blah. But here's a great here's a great answer, and again, I have no I have no way to understand this. Mm-hmm. I have no way to understand if this was something that like actually happened. If this is imagery, I have no idea. Right. Except that except that it says that there are wills that are at work in the world other than God's, yeah, and that somehow that can affect prayer. Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something? I was going to ask if like is there scripture in that three week section in which Daniel's lamenting, looking for answer, and it's not coming. Um, I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. I can invent some and lo, <laughs> Daniel lamented the lack of answer and wondered if it was God's will. Okay. Um, but, but I'm trying to make the general point, And this is one instance of the general point that there are other wills done. And, and mm-hmm. we've talked about this. Does God cause suffering? Um, you know, that when Jesus says, um, to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That assumes that God's will isn't being done on earth. Right. Um, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, or Luke talks about the Pharisees as saying about them, they had rejected God's will for themselves. Mm-hmm. So so evidently that's possible to reject God's desire for you. Um, Isaiah 30 talks about, it, it, woe to the obstinate children who make other plans than the Lord's. Mm. So, you know, there's just this, this sense of, and I think it's pretty thick throughout the scripture, um, that there are other wills being done. So what we can't say with certainty to Jack's parents is, well, this was God's will. Right. God's will in the Bible is Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right, in the in the garden, and then Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, which is in the garden city. 
And that's God's will, right? I mean, I, I, I've, I've told this story before, but, you know, I've been at funerals or I was watching my dad wither away from bladder cancer in heartbreaking fashion. And well-meaning church folk just walk in and say, well, it must be God's plan. And I, I'm just like, I, what kind of God is that? Hmm. Um, it's certainly not the God that weeps over Jerusalem, even though he knows Jerusalem's about to be destroyed. It's certainly not the, the God who weeps over the, 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 the recreating that needs to happen during the days of Noah and the flood. It's certainly not that God, right? I mean, I just don't, I just don't buy that. So there, there's a sense that, that we live in a cosmic war, but we also live in a war-torn world that's just of our own doing, right? There are other wills being done. And there is uh, in the scriptures an idea that, they, that the, even the structures of society um, are dark and bent. So that, that systemic racism isn't just the accumulation of individual racism. It's super energized by the powers and the principalities, right? It's mm. not the, like the systems oppressed too. It's not just the people that are oppressing. Mm. Um, and, and one of the, you know, one of the things we don't ever talk about is, well, is human DNA, um, right. ha- has it degraded? Has it, is it fallen in whatever way? Um, our birth defects, um, and, and issues at, at birth, are those things God's will, or are they just the inevitable results of living in a fallen world? Right. And so uh, so the picture that's painted is, the, is that there, there's no straight line between something happening and us declaring that's the will of God. Yeah. There's just no straight line. And, and those that decide to insert themselves by announcing the straight lineness, right? So you've got very famous reformed pastors and here's a natural disaster. And well, that was God's judgment on that. Does that happen? Yes, it does. But it happened under the old covenant and God always made sure he told you when it was him and why he was doing it. And it was part of the old covenant that he had with Israel as part of the discipline. We can go into that. But he, God was clear that it was him doing it. He, he did not leave it to his followers to determine. Hmm. And so um, anybody who sticks themselves into that space, man, I just think is representing Jesus poorly. And I think is representing the scriptures and the heart of God poorly as well. Make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so the first thing I'd say about Aleppo is it's not God's will that any should perish. Right, it's not God's will that that anyone, any child, child's life should be taken, or any woman be raped, or any man be murdered. Right? I mean, this is not God's will. Clearly, it is the will of our adversary who seeks, kills, and destroys. It is the will of evil people, people filled with violence and greed and lust. Right? You cannot say it's God's will. Uh, to Jack's parents, I would never look at them and say, "Well, it's God's will that this happened." It's just more complicated than that. You get the book of Job, where everyone's trying to draw a straight line between suffering and whether or not they deserve it. Hmm. Uh, And the book of Job is this wonderful, beautiful polemic against that view, where righteous people do actually suffer and where good people or where bad people actually seem blessed. How do you explain this? God shows up and simply says, "Um, it's a lot it's above your pay grade. It's a lot more complicated than you think. <laughs> right. So we cannot simply say, and even the f- most famous verse that Christians use here, Romans 8.28, um, where it says that God will work everything to the good or for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Even that verse doesn't say everything is good. It's just that God will work for good in the midst of it. Right, that's a vast difference, and God is such a genius at bringing good out of evil that sometimes we're tempted to think He, you, He caused the evil just to bring about the good, right, just to, just so He would be glorified. So right. that would be the magnet that draws you towards, right? Yeah, His will. Yes, and and so and so we just absolutely have to say beyond a shadow of beyond a shadow of a doubt that the the Scripture affirms three truths about this: God is good. And his goodness, there's no darkness in him. He's not, he doesn't tempt anybody. He does not trick anybody. He's not deceive anybody. He is light in him. There's no darkness at all. The second point is that evil really is evil. Evil hurts. Um, evil is to, it, you, we do lament. Disorientation really does happen. Um, uh, you don't have to clean things up by saying it's okay. You know, yeah, yeah, my parents, you know, died of cancer this year, but it's okay. No, no, that that's awful. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Death is the last enemy. It's not something we just put a cliche on, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third commitment that we make about this is that God is determined to bring good out of evil. He is so beautiful at doing this. So what looks like, senseless tragedy 
um, can be used by God to bring beauty and grace and to draw people to himself and all those sorts of things. But we never dare think that just because he's brought good out of evil, that he was the author of the evil that brought about the good. Mm. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. The, I mean, the, ca- the counter to that stuff is that, well God, well, God created evil in the first place. You know, it's like if it all draws back to then he is the, the origin of all creation. It's kind of like, why, you know, why are we in this situation in the first place? Like, I, I feel like I hear that on the atheist side of the argument. It's sure. like, well, you know, why would God create a world in which humans are collateral to a spiritual realm? You know, it's kind of like that in its own seems like compromising if god is all powerful he's in control and he is that good right right i mean that's kind of that's that's still part of the mess right except i would say what does it mean when you say god is in control so am i in sure. control of my parent or of my kids <laughs> well yes and no right i mean right. It, it, in one sense i can limit their range of options i can ground them i can i can refuse to drive them places i can you right? right so i can exert control um but but first of all that control um isn't total control because they can still make choices within the range of options i give them right secondly the control doesn't bring about the greatest good that i want for my children namely that we have a loving relationship right um and where there's an intimacy that's freely chosen right and so so you know why did god uh, structure the universe the way that he did um, evidently he wanted free creatures yes. and free creatures require, um, the, the, the freedom to do otherwise and the freedom mm-hmm. to do otherwise mm-hmm. evidently means the freedom to not love God or to love others, which according to Jesus are the greatest goods that God has for the world. Right. right. So again, I mean that yeah. none of the answers in the face of something like Lepo do anything. Right. Right. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. Um, why did God? Why does God allow other wills to be done? He could couldn't he just zap the place and clean it up? Of course, mm-hmm. of course he could. Um, why doesn't he? Well, because God has a desire for human beings that can't be brought about by the zap maneuver. Right. I mean, I see. I would see far more compassion in God giving time for a human being to be working out stuff that eventually brings them into the grace and love of who God is, versus like if he just zaps them at. 14 because he's making bad decisions and spray painting on walls and right. robbing, you know, stealing candy. You know, it's kind of like that's our, our human sure. judgment is like, well, what good is going to come from from that right. kid? Let, let's just wipe him off the earth now and just save ourselves a whole bunch of trouble. But it's right. like if God sees the greater picture and he's good, then it's kind of like it right. takes time. You right. know, there's work. It's not just that's right. him up there pulling so strings. So prayer, see, that's it. Prayer doesn't exert control, but it does exert influence. God's sovereignty, God's God's sovereignty, his controlledness of all things doesn't exist in the way we think of control. Yeah. Um, it exists in the realm of influence. So can God influence events? Well, of course he can. Can God cause things? Of course he can. Can God will things and make them happen? Of course, let there be light and there was light. But those seem to be rather the the exceptions to the rule rather than the rule itself. The rule itself seems to be to guide, to woo, to influence, to invite, to use evil for good, um, to draw human hearts to himself. But he does the drawing in a way that still respects uh, the the freedom of his image bearers that he he intended them Mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. Now... Man, we were this, this could go because none of those answers are great answers. Right, right. Um, but so the first bad answer to Jack and Jill, to to Jack's parents specifically, or the first bad answer to the Aleppo is well, it must have been God's will that those kids died and our kids live. There is n- utterly no way we can make that case from Scripture or the heart of God. Second, the second bad answer um, is, uh, and let's start with Jack and Jill. Uh, the second bad answer, and Christians will say this, uh, Jill's parents, the girl who lived, they must have had more faith. Yeah. And Jack's parents didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. And people will quote passages like this. And, and, it, and it makes it seem, I mean, I mean, here's here's Jesus. If anyone says to this mountain, go mountain and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for you. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. 
Or, or in Mark 6, Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his hometown because he was amazed at the people's lack of faith. Or uh, Matthew 17, why couldn't you, uh, what, the, the disciples were asking Jesus, why couldn't we drive this demon out? Jesus replies, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith that smells a mustard seed, you can say this mountain move from here to there and it will be, and it will be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. So we have in Christian circles, various uh, iterations of this. So you've got the name it and claim it sort of uh, Pentecostals where Mm -hmm. they take this verse and say, okay, they turn it into a new age formula where all I have to do is is psych myself up uh, to believing I've already received this check Mm -hmm. and uh, the check will come. Yeah. Um, uh, you, You have people who use this, these verses to shame uh, people who have bad things happen to them by just looking at Jack and say, well, this is what the text says. Clearly this, I, I even had in college, I had an ex-girlfriend look at me and say, the reason you're sick is because you don't have enough faith. Hmm. And and I was like, okay, <laughs> or there are viruses. I mean, either yeah. way, not sure. Um, so, so you can really take this, you can really take this and do some damage with it. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we... How do we understand this? Because th- this view says that the sole arbiting, arbiting factor, arbitrating factor, that's what I'm looking for, the sole arbitrating factor between Jill's healing and Jack's dying is the faith of the parents. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly the Bible teaches faith is important. Clearly we've got to do something with those passages. But is it as cut and dry? It's like the God's will thing, right? Is it right. a straight line? Jesus had every opportunity when he was healing sick people to rebuke them for their lack of faith. And he does not. He had every mm-hmm. opportunity to say, this is God's will. He never says that. He has every opportunity to look at somebody and say, you just need more faith. In fact, there's one person um, where where the man says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do this, and Jesus interrupts him and says, if I can, Everything is possible to him who believes. And the man says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And Jesus heals the man's child. Right. Uh, so, so this gets into a topic we've covered at length. And that is, what is faith? Because in this model, faith is psychological certainty. Remember this yeah, conversation? Yep, yep. Where I just, where what Jesus is looking for is me to be 100% without intellectual doubt, this is going to happen, therefore it will. And um, and as we've beat up on like tons, the 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 biblical picture of faith has nothing to do with psychological certainty, mm-hmm. and the biblical picture of doubt has nothing to do with questions, right? Faith is an action word. It is a it is a patron uh, donor or patron and client word. It is the fidelity of one who has received something by grace to the one who has given something by grace. It is an action word. So there is a vast difference between being psychologically certain that the plane I'm getting on will not crash versus just getting on the plane, even though I've got questions, right? So, so in general, planes are safe. And, uh, but I don't know if, as I'm sitting in line in an airport, I don't know for sure that this plane is safe. Right. I, I don't understand the aerodynamics. I don't know how the mechanics work. I don't, I can't, I can't say with psychological certainty that, uh, the pilot's not drunk or the pilot's had enough sleep or the pilot is even a, a legitimate pilot, right? I have none right. of those. I can't say for certain that there isn't a terrorist on this plane. I, I have no, I have no psychological certainty, but yet when I step on the plane, what have I just exercised? Yeah, faith. Faith. Mm-hmm. So, so we want to turn faith into psychological certainty because psychological certainty is easy to turn into a formula. Mm. So, so what people want to do with these verses is make them formulas. Well, you just have to have enough faith, and faith in that estimation means you have to be convinced, and you can't have questions. Mm-hmm. Man, that is not the biblical understanding of faith, even stinking remotely right and it seems like psychological certainty develops a certain amount of stock which provides independent confidence you know it's like it's kind of the constants of my faith isn't in god my faith is in my faith exactly my faith is in my faith like their way to testify their way to kind of like make known of their trust is by saying well here's all the things that i have been able to establish that certainty on right but it's amazing when all of that stuff falls apart i mean that's 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 the picture we're painting here is that because that doesn't that's not the picture of weakness that's the picture of psychological strength right and so that's anyways yep yep and and 
there, there's a sense that obviously faith plays a part. And, and this is, again, part of the mystery. I just want to say you can't draw straight lines here. Yeah. You cannot. And, and to do so, to do so does great harm to people and doesn't reflect the beauty mm-hmm. in the heart of Jesus. It seems we have countless stories as well where it's people where, you know, even in the case of the centurion, like the guy who's sick, it's not his lack of faith. The centurion that comes to Jesus and says, like, you know, I believe in your authority and your followers believe in this thing. You know, if you say it's done, let it be done. Right. And that guy was saved not because of his faith. He was saved because the centurion offered, you know, right. a peace offering of trust right. to right. the authority. Or the I mean, dudes or the dudes that lowered the paralyzed guy down. Right. We hear nothing about. And, and the text even says when Jesus saw their faith, not the paralyzed guy's faith. Right. But the faith of the dudes that dug a hole through the roof. Right. He healed the man. Right. It's, it's like impossible to it's impossible to indict either. It's Is it is it Jill's fault or is it the parents fault right. you can't you, you cannot see, draw a straight see, line there no faith is a movement towards action and and so so how do you say well if i move towards the idea that i can move the mountain does that clear it up any does that mean you can draw straight lines there i don't think so not only that but but jesus is is famous for using hyperbolic speech this was mm-hmm. a very common way of speaking in the ancient near east where people weren't literate but you wanted them to remember their main point. So Jesus will say things like, listen, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, right? It's better for you to enter into life in the age to come than um, with without a hand than it is for you to burn in hell. Yeah. Well, there were people that actually took him up on that, but is that is that seriously what Jesus is saying? No, he's warning us about the severity of sin. Here, he's warning us and encouraging us about the importance of faith, but to turn this into what is clearly, and Jesus says this all the time, you must hate your mother and father. Well, in Jewish idiom, that just means you choose one above the other. Right. right? It doesn't mean hate the way yeah. we understand hate. So, so Jesus is always using these colorful, exaggerated figures of speech. This is such, so, so it, 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 it does two things. The first thing it does is it reminds us faith isn't psychological certainty, which is what we think it is. Secondly, it reminds us that faith isn't formula. It's incredibly critical because it, you have to have faith, a movement towards action to actually ask Jesus for healing. You have to have faith, a movement towards action to pray for another's healing, right? You have to have a movement towards action to pray persistently for healing, right? I mean, yeah. all of that, because if if prayer is influence, if prayer is partnership, um, when that stuff doesn't happen immediately, it takes a great deal of faith to keep leaning into it, right? right. right? Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. So this is all happening in um, in a covenant. And, and you know, Jesus, Jesus speaks like this all the time um it's like there are these proverbs that are generalizations about the way things work but they're not rules they're not formula so you know raise a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it okay well in general how you raise a child will orient their life Mm -hmm. but i've heard this used as some ironclad formula if you pray over your kid if you teach them the bible then they'll never disobey rebel or walk away from the faith no it's a description of how things normally are but but uh, there are so many exceptions to it it can't be stated as an ironclad principle makes sense yes so so jesus is he's jewish he's using this kind of hyperbole all over the place to not only make it memorable, but to invoke how significant faith can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some there's some interesting tidbits about which mountain he's looking at because one of the great boasts of Herod the Great was that Herod can move a mountain because mm-hmm. he built him, himself a mountain, huh. the Herodian. And uh, and so perhaps Jesus was taking a shot. So I, I you know, oh, we don't know. Okay. Anyway, the picture we get is that we cannot know all of the variables that affect something coming to pass. So is faith a variable? Absolutely it is. Is it the only one? Nope. Um, Nor do we know whether or not it's the most important one. It's just one of the variables that that affects things coming to pass, right? Um, Sometimes Jesus seems to indicate that like like a certain kind of demon can only come out through prayer and fasting. Okay, don't know what that means, but it's more... It's more complicated than just the straight line of it's not God's will or you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So that leads us to the right answer. Okay. All right. We've beat up on two wrong answers. As presented by Michael. Who yes. Ca- who carries answers. Yeah. Biblically speaking. This is what I do. I was I was detained in three by three weeks uh, with the Prince of Pizza. And uh, <laughs> he and I duked it out over the buffet. Um, 
<laughs> the only right answer um, to our friend's question and to uh, uh, Jack's parents is, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I saw it coming. <laughs> like, that's the only answer. I don't know. And if if more Christians were comfortable giving this answer, we'd all be better off. Right? This is not an admission of failure. This is not an admission of, oh, I should know my Bible more. This is not an admission of, oh, I'm just weak. Nope. This is an admission of, it's so freaking complicated, we can't be sure. Here's what, I mean, so, so the world is unfathomably complex. Many variables um, condition how the prayer, power of prayer affects the world. Um, we, we simply cannot. So, so you have prayer. So in the Bible, there's prayer according to God's will. There's opposition by the enemy. There's the faith and free will of the person you're praying for. There's the, the reality of the fallenness of, of nature and the fallenness of disease and human DNA. I mean, it is, it is God's will is revealed in Jesus for what humanity should look like. But uh, the world is so complex. We, so we believe prayer is totally powerful and totally effective. And there are things that happen because people prayed. And there are things that don't happen because people haven't prayed. I believe all of that to be true. But what I don't believe is that we can draw straight lines from events to God's rendering of those events, mm -hmm. right? That you just didn't have enough faith or it was just simply God's will. So, so I always mm. feel like um, it comes back to this. How did Jesus reveal the heart of God to the world? What, what was the heart of God towards people who were suffering? Well, people asked Jesus to do stuff and he did stuff. But Jesus didn't just heal everybody. How many, how many lepers were not healed in Israel in yeah. Jesus' day? How many dead people did Jesus walk by and not resurrect? Right? I mean, th there's this tension we live in. That's the tension of the kingdom of God, which is Jesus has come and his kingdom is here and there is healing and there is deliverance and there is freedom and there is salvation. And at the same time, it hasn't come in all of its fullness. So there's still death. There's still disease. There's still, there's still other wills being done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last thing that we're to do is to begin to draw judgments or um, uh, make declarations about how all of this is working, mm -hmm. as particularly in ways that 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 uglify, if that's a word, um, the picture of God we have in Christ, and hurt people. Uh, this is one of the areas where people have been so freaking hurt by this. So we don't always know why things happen the way that they do, but we know what God is like. So there there has to be room in there for. A, we know what God is like, plus a bunch of question marks equal what's happened. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what God is like. I, excuse me. I don't know why this particular thing happened. I just know what Jesus is like. And when Jesus was here, he was against disease, and he was for healing, and he was for restoration, and he was against injustice, and he was against hypocrisy. So I try to be for and against the things that Jesus was. I try to work for the good, and I pray like crazy. Why? I actually believe God answers. I actually believe he answers all the time. I don't know, though, how my answers work in the grand scheme of, of everything else. I just can't know. And part of the leap movement towards action in Jesus is the trust that, that because of his goodness, even what looks like an answer that's no or an answer that's delayed or could possibly be something beautiful down the road, right? Right, right. I mean, it, it seems like a, a yes and no type prayer relationship doesn't necessarily speak to a lot of discipline. You know, because if it was like always, if it was always... I pray this and it happens. It doesn't, it doesn't call out so much more of, I think what's required of us spiritually sometimes to walk in something because it brings about understanding and light to a circumstance when we're acting that way. You know, if we just yeah. you know, spoke it and instantly it took place, I think over time that psychological certainty would bring more power to the individual of believing, well, well of I'm the one who's doing this, can you, you know, can you imagine if I mean, do you remember what was the Jim Carrey movie? Was it Evan Almighty or something? What sure. Was it? Yeah. Well, well that Evan Evan Almighty was with uh, Steve Carell. Carell. It was the one before that. Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Yeah. And there, there's one where, and I, man, this is so far back. I don't even remember the movie, but it just came to mind. The scene where he is getting a bunch of prayer requests and he just answers yes to all of yes. them. Yes. Yep. And it's totally 
like the lotto is split into a zillion pieces because so many people prayed to win the lotto and right. I mean, it just is a mess. Can you imagine if God answered yes to every prayer I've prayed? <sighs> right? I would have married someone different. I'd be doing something. I mean, you you like you realize God's genius in the waiting and then the nose sure. when you when you begin to go, "Oh my goodness, looking back, I'm so glad he said he didn't answer this particular prayer." Right. You know the way I wanted him to. Well, and it assumes that everybody that prays has has is praying out of a goodwill right you know i mean there's right. i mean we would easily say that there's definitely counter social groups that would be quote unquote praying towards something but then like on the outside you're like what right. they stand for is obviously morally compromising so you're hoping god doesn't say yes to what their prayers are right you know so it can't so right that's the whole human condition of we are yes and no just does not factor the way that god sees nope. the larger picture and nope. what he's what he's working on that's right and and yeah we don't we don't even know and when we ask it says in james we ask with wrong motives and yeah i mean you just go okay the thing it's just more complex than so you take a marriage when when i ask my wife to do something or when she asks me to do something or when we're hashing through something there's a there's so many variables at play right the conversations we've had before about this the family of origins we bring to this our personality types uh, whether or not we had a good day or a bad day whether or not we're uh, incredibly emotional right now or we're we're hangry yeah. you know which is hungry and angry i mean we <laughs> there's so many things at play in in a conversation between two human beings magnify that a billion times <sighs> And you realize we just can't draw straight lines. The only straight line I can draw, and see this one, and this is where it's enough for me. And I wish, I wish, um, I, I, I hope for people, they get to this place too, where it's enough just to know how beautiful Jesus is. And I let him worry about the details. Mm -hmm. And so I press in all the time on behalf. I mean, I, uh, I have a friend of mine I talked about um, last, last podcast who every morning I wake up and the first thing I, I say is, God, would you heal Nancy? Why, please heal her just right now. Just heal her. Of course you can. Just please do that. And I badger him like crazy. And then you have all these passages where Jesus is like encouraging badgering yeah. and encouraging chutzpah yeah. and encouraging boldness in prayer, right? right? So so the Bible clearly encourages this. The Bible clearly teaches that mm -hmm. that it has influence and it builds partnership. And and in fact, there's some really... Now this, this is off the reservation right here, okay? So... Um, but there are some, I, I've, I've read a couple of, of folks who've said, made the following argument. Um, so when Jesus, so when God uh, creates, what does God do? Um, How does he create? He speaks it into existence. He speaks. Yeah. Right. The power of his words. Yeah. So, so Jesus shows up and for instance, calms the storm with mm -hmm. a word. He just rebukes it. Yeah. He, he um, invokes uh, you know, he compels demons mm. out of, you know, people and into pigs. He, and it's all with words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so there's a, and again, who freaking knows, but it's so interesting to me. There's a thought that perhaps the way that heavens, the new heavens and the new earth will be administrated mm -hmm. uh, by human persons is that we will use speech uh, in the same way that Jesus did, mm. that we would have, um, authority to speak things and to have them come true. Yeah. And now again, I mean, this is so far out there. But yeah, but to me, to me, it's not that far out. It isn't because there's a there's a verse in John that talks about how God's judgment is based on our words. Right. You we know, be that, held that we're held accountable for every careless, careless word, that we, word say. we say, but it also it the balance of that is also the things we do say. Right. And the value of that. That's so right. I'm not. To me, that's not. I've actually sat on that verse for a long time, and it's it's made me think so much about the carefulness of words because yeah. it's like. If my words matter, would I speak differently? Right. And that is, see, we're, we live in a culture now where word is heavily devalued right. because of spin a, and a contract and all this right. other stuff, right? It's kind of like you can't say to a friend, you have my word and that matters. Right. It just, it doesn't. But in healthy friend relationships where that does matter, I think that fosters a different kind of relationship. Yep. So, but no. It, well, yeah, so, it's so the idea was, why do spiritual disciplines like worship and prayer, why are they important? And, and their, their point was because they reorient the way we use words. Mm -hmm. So instead of using words to condemn, we use words to pray mm -hmm. and, or praise. Instead of uh, using words to bo boast, 
um, we use words to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we learn in prayer what, what we are to ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the biggest things I learned uh, having Seth was for, for months and months and months um, before Seth was born, we found out three months before he was born that he had Down syndrome, and, and we prayed for his healing. You know, mm-hmm. God, no, God, no, God, no, no, please, 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 yeah. please. And, um, and so he, he is born. First thing I say to Justy is, yep, he's got it. Um, and even then I prayed for his healing. I prayed for his development. And I remember a, um, a friend's wife said to me, you know, um, it, it got, Oh, how'd she say it? It was really good. She just said, please stop asking for healing for Seth because Seth, as he is, will be a healer. Hmm. And <clears throat> that changed, that changed. It was like one of those lightning bolt moments. And and so I began to pray instead for Seth's healing. I pray that God, you would allow Seth to be a voice to the nations about why he belongs here yeah. and, and the beauty of who he is. Yeah. And my goodness, bro, everything changed. Yeah. He, he I mean, the, the change in my desire, like that, the change in my desiring and even what I was asking for was so profound in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have to think God has answered a bit of that prayer as we hear Seth talk and his ability to articulate himself in ways that just constantly surprise us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it moved from selfish to God, yeah. I, uh, let him be a witness to the nations about yeah. why he why he belongs here. Yeah, and 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 that that didn't come just by me sitting and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I know exactly what you're saying. So so there's something in all of this that is um, incredibly powerful. So I don't know how it all fits. I, and, I, and, and that's the point of the podcast is we can't say for sure how it fits. Right. I know God is good. Right. I know evil is evil. And I know God brings good out of evil, but is not the author of it. Right. That's all we got. Right. And in, those, in the triangulation and navigation of those three points, I'm invited to pray. Yeah. And I believe that my prayer affects things uh, because God affects things and we're in partnership together. Yeah. But I cannot draw lines. Yep. I cannot draw lines. Right. So the last three podcasts have kind of gone together. Um, stage one, two, three, four. How do we transition from stage two to three with lament, disorientation? But how do we help people in the midst of the crisis of, of stage three and the huge questions? I mean, this question about Aleppo and all of those things. How do we help people? Well, the, ro- the wrong answers are really hurtful. And the right answer ultimately is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. God is good. Evil is evil. God brings good out of evil, but is not the author of it. End of story. That's all I got. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I mean, it's even just in, in this 40 minutes of, of talking about all this, it's like the thing that, I mean, and, and I'm not, you know, trying to overly prescribe something out of this. I 100%, like, I think the, the answer to that question is, I don't know. But the thing that it draws me to is like, A, the value of, of your voice matters. Speaking matters. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that relationships expand when there's conversation you know relationships don't grow because two people are sitting there thinking a lot about each other they grow because they're talking with each other and they're in conversation with each other and they're trusting that in doing that something else takes place along Mm -hmm. the way um and i just it's um it was such a good reminder of of the value of 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 that because i mean even if you think of a father-son relationship you know you think of those deep family relationships Mm -hmm. and it's easy to to walk in the um the feeling of judgment or lack of importance or things that didn't take place you you live in what didn't happen not Mm -hmm. walk in what does happen but largely you know anyone would ask well hey well what are you are you talking to them Mm -hmm. you know like what was who are or who are you talking to about it and rarely it's like well no this is just stuff i've been thinking about forever and jesus even says what from the heart the mouth speaks you know so it's like how often is the heart really seen if you don't speak Mm -hmm. so so much of it seems like it's easy to protect our hearts when we keep our mouth shut but our but like the the revealance of our hearts isn't known by community, isn't known by the ones we love if we don't speak. Hmm. So there's, um, there's just so much incredible value to that. And like, I was even just being moved about what you said about Seth, because, 
um, with Sunflower and our own adoption, like we're adopting going in, you know, to adopt a child with Down syndrome. But for us, it couldn't be our prayer couldn't be about what we hope to gain, you know, Mm -hmm. out of doing it. It wasn't because we're great parents or because of that. It was really we have to believe that a child like this needs care and is coming to the world. And all we could ask is that God would use her and God would bless her. And for what it's worth, here we are four years later, almost whatever, 21,000 followers on Instagram. But it's like a sure sign of God's blessing, a sure sign of God's blessing, quantity <laughs> over quality. But it's like the every now and then the direct messages we get from right. women who are like, I didn't abort my child because I found this account. And now I'm now this is my daughter with Down syndrome who I love. And I'm so glad I didn't make that decision That's right. or, you know, that or I was afraid that you know, this, when I was going to have my child with Down syndrome, that my life would be awful and their life would be awful. But now I have that child and my life is not awful. I mean, it's that stuff where it's like praying for speaking out that we would really desire a mission to take place through something. Mm-hmm. It just, it bring it brings about, it brings about more mystery than it does certainty. Like mm-hmm. I'm not certain about that stuff. It just returns. Mm-hmm. It, if anything, it was, speaking it out opened up more mystery and it it pushed us to more trust rather than mm-hmm. the opposite. So right. it's just, you know, all yep. that said, there's no easy. I know I knew that was going to happen. I know I did. Nothing could have happened. Right. But it's amazing when things do. And even then it's not, it's not psychological certainty, you know? That's right. And so, That's right. but uh, great. So if you're new, That's if you're good. new to our podcast, we've got some stuff on faith and doubt earlier in our series. Uh, that is relevant to this conversation. But as always, um, we're thrilled and look forward to your feedback. Um, We uh, are deeply appreciative of uh, your support, your encouragement, the fact that you share these, the fact that they provoke conversation, and uh, we love it. So this is number 64. We're wrapping number 64, which is Andy's. It's great. It's Andy's age this year, his birthday. (laughs) So we're excited about that. Last week, we said we wanted old people on the show. Here I am. Yes. Thank you, Andy Bear. (laughs) So uh, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Blessings to you, my friends. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast and now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Vox Podcast.